Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bow, and Pastor Adam Osier continue their discussion on the articles of the small called Confessions. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary, establishing students in the eternal and inerrant Word of God for a life of faith in Jesus Christ and faithful service in His kingdom since 1964. To learn more, or apply, look at flbc.edu. Welcome to the Being Lutheran podcast. I am Pastor Brett Bow, and I'm joined by Pastor Jason Goodham and Pastor Adam Osier. All right, guys, welcome back for a new batch of episodes as we continue to March through the small, small called, small called, small called. I think I established last time I can use the small, small called. Yes, every one of our episodes is going to be this. I'm going to make a declaration. It will forever be called yeah. small called just, just on me. this podcast. Yeah. No, there we go. Start it like this every time, Brett. It makes for good radio. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. So we're, we're Why walking. Why do we forget yeah. every time? Oh, yeah. Because we record a month apart and we're not that funny. Or original. That's right. (laughs) Wow. Brutal. Brutal introspection. The truth hurts, but it's all good. Anyway, we're we're walking through the small called articles, and uh, today we are in Article Two on uh, the Father. Yeah, Article Two of Part Mm -hmm. One. More Trinity talk again today. Uh, Last series, four episodes, uh, really three episodes Mm -hmm. and an introduction, talked about the generative or the creative uh, efforts of the Trinity. Uh, We're going to be talking more about the nature of the Trinity uh, itself, which is great because the Trinity is a divine mystery. So we're going to be spending the next (laughs) 90 minutes of your time uh, speculating about a mystery and maybe accidentally becoming heretics. All right. Well, never, never afraid of that, are we? No. No, Yeah. (laughs) We, we on the Being Lutheran podcast, we tread where others fear to tread. <laughs> we're going to solve this today. And we're going to, this is going to go, we're going to talk about something today called the Filioque controversy, which I, I you know, I particularly just like the name. I want to be controversial in yes. that. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But, Have you ever tried But today Filioque? we should, we should make this either we solve the Trinity or it becomes a new controversy. And it's yeah. like we have a name, like the, the Being Lutheran. Trinity, Trinitarian heresy. And now uh, it's boring. Something fun with a shm in there. Yeah, so right. Shming Lutheran, shming Lutheran. Shming Lutheran, shming Lutheran. Controversy. There we are. All right. Brett. Oh, awesome. All right. Let me read this for us. Uh, as Jason mentioned, part one, article two of the small called, small called articles says that the Father is begotten of no one. The Son of the Father, the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, proceeds from the Father and the Son. And that's that's it. Deep stuff. Deep stuff. We're gonna, yeah. we're gonna wring this dry. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, is we and and one of the churches that I was at every and you know your guys' churches do it. I'm sure for maybe Trinity Sunday or something yeah. like that. But we do it every Communion Sunday. We'd have the the Nicene Creed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. And we would same, say this. And so for me, it's like I read through this, and it's just like I'm reciting the Creed. I'm like, yep, that's good. We're we're good to we're go. Good. But then I realized the Creed is that way because because of this. There <laughs> were things. Yeah. yeah, there were issues. And uh, Jason. The Filioque controversy. How would you uh, define that? Well, you go to wikipedia.com <laughs> or uh, 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 even better yeah. is dig through Jordan Cooper's archives. I'm pretty sure he's addressed it at some point. But so the Filioque 
controversy was was you know, kind of unilaterally added to the Nicene Creed, uh, which became an issue between East and West that eventually split the church in the mid uh, 1000s <laughs> what, what do you say? The mid yeah, it was 1056 or something. 10, like, yeah, yep. right, right around. It's interesting. Almost the exact same year. The Filioque controversy is hitting the church. The Battle of Hastings happens in uh, in England, which set up, you know, laid down all the things for the Tudor dynasty. Sure. So it's it's all sorts of fun stuff going on. It's big big times going on. Big times. But uh, the whole deal with the Filioque controversy is what is the role of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. in the Trinity? Right, yep. As the third person of the Trinity, the East, which we have Eastern Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, and Antiochian Orthodox, all of the other divisions of, of that end of the church, complained it was a unilateral decision on the Pope that they didn't have an appropriate council to decide. Uh, and they, the East, doubts the significance of claiming that the Spirit proceeds both from the Father and the Son. So it's official, as I understand it, official... Orthodox, capital O, theology, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father, Mm -hmm. but they do not include and the Son. And the Son, sure. Yeah. And why does that matter? It matters, well, part of it is the next article in the small called articles uh, is the the humanity of the Son. So part of it is uh, trying not to uh, avoid getting two Christs by falsely dividing the two persons of Christ into two Christs. And so you want the divinity of the son emphasized. Part of it is the uh, accurate interpretation of scripture and the accurate communication of church tradition. You know, unless we are bound by scripture, paying attention to what the early church fathers taught and confessed is a big part of who the church is because they're closer to the apostles. I mean, in the case of like, Irenaeus and Papias and things like that, they are actually taught by either apostles or the people who are taught by the apostles. And so you want to maintain that you know, throughout the entire uh, history of the church, starting a new church hasn't been the goal. It wasn't the goal of the Lutherans in the Reformation. Uh, it isn't the goal now. And, and that's kind of the unfortunate interpretation of what happened in the Reformation, right? That it was a permission to start a new church. So what does Scripture say? Mm-hmm. If, if, we're, if Scripture is clear, uh, how do the church fathers interpret it? And are they consistent with Scripture? And so the church fathers consistently taught that it was and the, you know, the, the Father and the Son, uh, and we, we certainly find passages in Scripture. Right. At that point right there is where my knowledge of the Filioque controversy evaporates. Because <laughs> I, uh, I don't know yeah. how Eastern Orthodoxy interprets the passages that we use to support the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Son. I just don't know how they respond. I haven't, it's, it's not in my context. It's not in my, mm-hmm. in emphasis in my ministry. It doesn't really. Right. Maybe haven't come across it or yeah, come. You, yeah. You don't research what you don't need to research yeah, just yep. in case someone might, you right. know, challenge you on it. So, so let's make a, a case of, you know, let's say you're not a theologian, you're not a pastor. You know, why, why should you be interested in this or why should, why is it good to know about this controversy and, and what it means in terms of the applications and implications of, of the faith? I think, you know, the first thing I think of, and I, I ask you this question, obviously we had, you know, history, church history, I think together, Jason, yep. uh, if I'm not mistaken in seminary and stuff, and you think, you know, a lot of these things are, 
are situations where you read through it's like why would this matter you know the the argument about mm-hmm. how many angels can dance on the head of a yeah. pin was literally an 42. argument in the history of the church <laughs> and we say it i thought that was a joke to begin with but no it was like a legitimate mm-hmm. thing do angels take up space and why does this matter but a lot of times any anytime you come up with a, a heresy or controversy or disagreement it's going to impact the what we believe somehow and and correct me if i'm wrong jason but the first thing that comes to mind for me and the practical side yeah. jason or excuse me brett to answer your question the 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 reason it matters is because if the spirit proceeds from christ it makes christ god which wasn't the what wasn't the challenge you know early on in the church but it is today to some degree and i look at that it just it, it affects the cross did god did, did god in the flesh die on the cross for your sins in Christ, in the person of christ and, and yeah. that's a major part of Lutheran theology in the Lutheran Confessions, because yeah. Luther, yeah. it's in the it's in the large catechism where he explains that uh, if our good deeds are compared to the requirements of the law, it's not a comparison. In the in the scale, finds us guilty, right? But if, but then Luther writes, if God jumps into the scale, then our sins are erased. And they're placed on God, but then because he's God, he can jump out of the scale altogether and everything's taken care of because he's God, right? It's very important. If we lose the divinity of Christ, we lose redemption. Mm -hmm. But it's also true if we lose the humanity of Christ, we lose redemption. It it, it all evaporates, right? The other thing thing that comes up too in my mind is the presence of Christ. Mm -hmm. I'm with you in my spirit, right? You know, my spirit will be with you. They're distinct persons, but they are one, right? They are one yet distinctly three. Now, this is where I could get into trouble and this is where I could Cause some problems. Yeah, right. Yeah. We need a button for this. So yeah. he's he's one. He's you know he yeah. is one individual distinct person, but he is one with the Father and the Spirit. And so when the, when he says, "I'm going to send you my Spirit," he says that, and I'm going to send you the Comforter. And when he comes, mm-hmm. you, you know he'll teach you the things that you need to know, and he'll he'll bring to recollection all of these things. So the assurance that that not only does you know that when Jesus says, "I've taught you these things," here's the Spirit. Now he's going to bring these to recollection, and he's going to do this, this, and this, which I think we're going to get to all of the things of the Spirit. But the fact that it comes from Christ matters because Christ is the one who who came in our flesh, too, came came in in flesh like us. And so there's the humanity of Christ matters. And and you have both, actually, as being, I think, a, a, it's a very Christocentristic issue. It's and, and, and it goes back to the person of Christ. Is he God? Is he man? Yes. Did the Spirit proceed from him? Yes, it, absolutely it did, as Scripture teaches. Yeah, it's in what we should be clear here, based on our ignorance of Eastern Orthodox theology, that the Western Church more or less is lockstep on this, the the traditional denominations. So Roman Catholics, Lutherans, and even the Reformed are lockstep in this spot, right? Now, I suspect... Uh, knowing what I do about Lutheran theology and knowing what I do about the differences between Lutheran and Calvinist theology, that we probably appreciate the filioque controversy or the filioque clause for different reasons, but I don't know that, so we don't need to go down that road. The other Mm -hmm. reason why this is practical, other Mm -hmm. than the divinity of Christ, which I think is the big thing here, Mm -hmm. the other reason that this is practical is doctrine matters. Yeah. Right? right. All doctrine matters. And so you've got this trickle-down effect that all Scripture points to Christ. 
all doctrine is a summary of what's contained in Scripture, so all doctrine also points us to Christ. So again, if you screw up your doctrine, then you screw up your Christology, and then you screw up your salvation, right? Mm-hmm. The, the bigger thing with this, though, is it's things like the filioque controversy that get muddled in with the how many angels can dance on the head of a uh, pin, yes. yep. where throughout the years at various points in history, and especially in church history, it comes to be that all doctrine is is ivory tower academic theology, that it's not necessary for the Christian life. No, if doctrine is the truth of God contained in Scripture, Mm -hmm. communicated by Scripture, then all doctrine is relevant for my life too. And we think we we pause and we think about the call in 1 Peter 3 to know what you believe and why you believe it. And this sort of thing then, it's something like the filioque clause that helps us from getting off base on the doctrine of the Spirit. We are not prone to making the same errors at the extreme end of the Pentecostal slash charismatic wing of the churches, where suddenly the Holy Spirit becomes the cosmic free agent that does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and (laughs) is really just a way for me to put divine uh, emphasis on all of the feels. Whatever gut feeling you have in the moment, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting, too, when you say all doctrine matters. Part of it is... uh, I teach my students this, and I I hope some of them listen, and I hope some of them hear this again. But the reality, when we think about um, doctrine, what we are learning, sometimes that doctrine doesn't make sense to us in the moment. It's like, why would I need this? But then you find that, oh, as I've studied the word, and as this is coming back to recollection, all of a sudden now this makes sense to me. You know, and I think some of this uh, filioque stuff, you know, comes back in my own mind thinking, I remember learning it and thinking, nah, it doesn't matter. And then getting into the divinity of Christ being a big deal. You see one of those as as the example. But um, I do find, I do find, you know, all doctrine matters. And it's also important for us to just say, this is how God reveals himself. And if we want to know him, we ought to listen to when he talks to us in his word about how it is he is, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and and what he wants us to know about that. So I think it's important for us, even just in in a practical sense, this is what God wanted us to know. And so we we look to it and we trust it and we walk with that. And that's why it's so important to have a system for your theology. You know, not everyone's a systematic theology. And I have a couple good friends that are exegetical (laughs) theologians that like, well, you guys can talk about your books, but we'll take it from Scripture. And I laugh at them, but it's the whole, it's, it's the same thing, right? We have to have an ordered theology so that we know why it matters. And we're grateful for systematicians in the Lutheran Church. We're, we're grateful for Pieper. Uh, we're, we're occasionally grateful for Mueller. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah. you know, it's, it, it, it's important to have an ordered system of theology, but why recently... Uh, I have gone one step farther than systematic theology to thinking about how all theology fits into the structure of the catechism. And that really, really has helped me wrap my brain around some of the second and third level stuff that was like, well, I don't need that. I don't need that. No, it really matters because uh, I was asked, you know, we were all there. I was asked to teach at our pastor's conference back in October. And I, I was given, a, what, 20, 25 minutes to do a lesson on systematic theology of the Holy Spirit. You're like, oh, yeah, no big deal, right? But what I was able to teach... Why would you need that much time? (laughs) Yeah, it was was three minutes and then 20 minutes of awkward silence. But uh, what I was able to teach is the best way for us to think about the doctrine of the Spirit is to think about where does the Holy Spirit show up in the catechism? 
And that's a really big way to think about it because the primary way the Holy Spirit shows up in the catechism, he shows up personally in the third article of the creed. Right? That I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, so on and so forth. And then what that helps you determine is that the Holy Spirit works through the gospel in the congregation by the means of grace. And suddenly now you've got a really rich and deep theology that you've just arrived there by default by having a properly ordered and structured theology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is good. Thanks. I mean, that's a good... Good reminder to us, you know, no matter what the topic is, uh, yeah, that I love how it all, all clicks together in place. And so uh, let's do this. Uh, you know, there are simple statements for this, uh, this article, and uh, let's just take them one by one and, and uh, discuss that. And uh, let's start with that first, first expression, the Father is begotten of no one. Um, what's your response to that? And um, yeah, why does it start there? The... Um the thing I think of when I think of the Father's not begotten by anyone, it's that whole argument when you think about apologetically, you know, well, if everything if everything that's created has a creator, who created God? Well, mm-hmm. nobody. That's what this that's declares. That's why you have a God. Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. He is the uncaused cause, uh, as uh, it was Aquinas, maybe, who came, so, uncaused cause. If Aquinas sort of didn't say it, he should have. <laughs> he should have, yes. He would have been, he would have been right on. Yeah. Um, no, but I think that that's one of the first things I think of is that very practically, no, I, we don't need somebody to have created God. He just is and was and will be. And, and one of the ways I try to help myself understand how I teach and preach about the Trinity, and, and I'm going to do this in a way that I hopefully don't sound like a heretic, but it helps me to think about our explanation of the Trinity is really our explanation of how we relate to the persons of the Trinity, right? And so God is has always been and exists out of time. So in time immemorial, before time existed, there was the Father, there was the Son, and there was the Holy Spirit. God is the one who we consistently interact with as that overarching God idea. When people talk about God, more often than not, they're referring to the Father, right? Mm -hmm. That person of the Trinity. Uh, We have a different interaction with the son because the son became flesh and and added, brought on humanity into the divinity. And so we interact with the second person of the Trinity in the person of Jesus Christ. And that was in a moment of time, that part. uh, But he was not... Yeah, he he became man in time. He didn't. So, and and this is but he didn't become in time. He didn't become. He was begotten of the Father outside of time. Yeah, this is the difference between little O orthodoxy and Arianism, right? Because Arius would teach that there was a time when the Son was not, and what the the historical traditional again lowercase O orthodox church would teach is that there was a time when the Son was not incarnate but that there was a yeah. son. Yep. That he's always existed. He's yeah. always existed. Yeah. And, and you know, there's pl- passages in Colossians yeah. and Philippians that are really important for that. That's also Luther's entire doctrine of theophany slash Christophany flows from when we look in the Old Testament and God shows up in physical form, it's Jesus, mm-hmm. right? That's what allows us to do that. So, uh, you know, when Isaiah sees the Lord seated on, seated on the throne, high and exalted, uh, he sees Jesus Christ, seated on the throne, right? And when the army, the commander of the armies of the Lord shows up and Joshua bows down before him, it's, he sees Jesus or... Are you for us or for them? 
Yeah. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. That's one so of the much. best yeah. lines. Yeah. Or, or when the one like the Son of God comes to save Shadrach, Meshach, yeah. and Abednego from the fiery furnace, it's Jesus, right? And so it's not that the the second person of the Trinity has a beginning. It's that the human nature of the second person of the Trinity yeah. has a beginning, but does not have an ending. Right, and so one of the things about the the you know the son is begotten of the father is that mm-hmm. the the flesh of Jesus Christ is now the flesh of Jesus Christ into eternity future. Mm-hmm. There was a time when there was not the flesh of Jesus Christ, but there was still the son, the second person of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then the third person of the Trinity again is more of a description of how we understand how we relate with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there at creation. The Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters. Yeah. Um, and, and, and God talks almost more frequently about his Spirit in the prophets than he does even in the New Testament. But we understand the operation of the Spirit in the church as Jesus sends the Spirit to the church after his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. calls, gathers, enlightens, uh, yep. all that good stuff. Yeah, I, I was just curious. You you said walk through this, you know, line by line. Yeah, we, right. we started with the Father. We've moved on, and, and we Jason once again went through the whole Trinity. My, do we want to talk a little bit about? Uh, <laughs> just giving you a hard <laughs> like time, chopped Jason. liver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're a systematician. That's what it sounded like over there for a second. Yeah. But do we want to talk about begotten? The phrase begotten is there significance in there? Um, what have you guys, you know, what does that phrase mean? I, I've touched on it uh, briefly a couple times in my Bible studies and stuff. It's a really hard concept to explain. And part of it is just simply a cultural situation. Our whole concept of everything that went on with Jesus is kind of wrapped up in the English word born. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't really fill all of the nuance of begotten because begotten is a term of inheritance, as well. And so when uh, the son is begotten of the father, he's the inheritor mm-hmm. of the estate, which really matters uh, the, the, that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And that's why that language is there. Is it interesting? I mean, maybe this is not accurate, but in English monarchy yeah, it's, terms, when they talk about Queen Elizabeth had four children, but if you were to go to Wikipedia, which is always good and, you know, a good place to find your information about anything. Especially the Filioque question. Yes. Filioque <laughs> question is good there. Queen Elizabeth, it talks about her issue. It is, it, it'll say issue. Hmm. And that's how they speak of of heirs to uh, our, our children of monarchs is issue. And, and that carries with it that idea of what you're talking about. It carries with it the idea of um, inheritance and there's a, you know, coming from the, and being the, uh, you know, in the heirs of this sort of well, thing. And there's tons of implications about why that's important. Jesus consistently talks about my kingdom and which is inter- used interchangeably with the kingdom of God. So there's apologetics emphasis. It matters for us in baptism. Uh, and one of the important things we emphasize as Lutherans is that uh, we, uh, Galatians 4.4, 4, in whom we've re- received the adoption of, as sons, it is really important not to smooth that over to our 21st century American context and as sons and daughters, because the idea there isn't gender, it's inheritance. And so it would be, we have received adoption as the oldest son, as the inheritor of what God has to give 
right? Mm-hmm. To bestow on us. And so that even the, our sisters in Christ are, mm-hmm. uh, are in Christ, in baptism, the inheritors as the oldest child. When I, yeah. And when I think of, uh, that's a good point, Jason, the, mm-hmm. the whole inheritance thing is, is critical. The other thing I think I've heard and, and I've, i yeah, I wish I could cite my source here. Uh, when it talks about begotten, uh, something that's begotten is something that is of the same kind as. Yep. A versus made. Like I begat my children; they are humans like me of my DNA, of my flesh, and my wife. But also, um, I made a table, right? Or I, I you know, I built yep. a chair. It's something of a different kind. You know, it's not begotten, not made. That language is not. He is something that's that's different than or outside of. It's something that's from the Father Himself. And, and so, as He's begotten of the Father. Uh, the idea is once again comes back to the divinity of Jesus. It comes back to the you know the, his full divine nature. Yeah, and even though you have a pretty wooden personality, I agree with that explanation and that analogy. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, maybe that's a good place to end. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's uh, really quick. That there's yeah. a whole yeah. n- uh, other controversy that Adam just brings up with that, and that's called it's a different controversy called the battle for the iota. Because mm, yep. one of the places where this has gone off homo the rails, or, or homoi, yeah, usios, right, yeah. it's yeah. of the same essence as the father or of a similar, similar essence to the father. We don't get into that now, but you, you see in simply mm-hmm. one sentence of an article how much theology is yeah. baked into that. Right. And it's a trickle down effect. It's kind of like, you know, from my past, I broke my ankle and now I have knee and hip problems because in compensating for that destroyed ankle, I adjusted the way I walk and I put a different stress on things. If you screw up the Trinity, it trickles down into every other aspect of yeah, your good theology. Word. Good illustration. Yeah. Yep. Very good. Well, let's uh, end there and pick up our discussion next time. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. You are invited to the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary on March 13th and 14th as we hear from best-selling author Nancy Piercy. Professor Piercy will share insights from her books on gender and sexuality, demonstrating on how a biblical worldview is the solution to the challenges facing society as well as the church today. Register for live stream or reserve a seat at flbc.edu slash events. God bless you and have a great week.